0: where my handle is at Turkey Hitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to Episode 68, Winter Turkey Hunting with Rob Keck. And I am your host, and the guy that squeezed the trigger on an eight point this weekend that turned out to be younger than I thought he was. He was a nice deer, a nice trophy, and the meat is in the refrigerator aging anyway, but he turned out to be a little bit younger than I thought. Chasing a doe is the first, that's the first buck I've seen chase a doe on our hunting property in South Alabama in probably five or six years. We tend to miss the rut during hunting season here in a lot of the state of Alabama. To that note, this morning while I was getting dressed for work, I watched a nice 8 point about the size of the one that I shot this past weekend chasing a doe in my backyard. It's February the 10th and the does are just now starting to come into estrus enough to where a buck is chasing. And I know that's crazy for a lot of you listeners who live in the Midwest and the Northeast to hear that given that we are 33 days, 11 hours, zero minutes, and 55 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. This episode I'm very excited about and I'm excited about it because our guest today got me so excited about it. Before we get into it, I've got a couple of housekeeping things I need to go over with you. First and foremost, I would like to thank Black 42. Black 42 left a five-star rating and a review on Stitcher Radio. And he says, love the show. My son and I are diehard turkey hunters and we love the show. I enjoy hearing folks talk about their time in the woods and what has worked for them in the past. And I'm able to apply this to my future hunts. Black 42, thank you so much for taking time to leave a review on Stitcher. There are many more reviews on iTunes than we have on Stitcher, so I wanted to take a minute, get over to Stitcher, and I wanted to get over to Stitcher to read a review that was left by one of us non-Apple users out there. So, you know, the NWTF convention and sports show is coming up this weekend, and I have been busy this past week getting ready for the show. I don't have a booth at the show. I'm planning on doing that next year, so I'll be inquiring about that at this year's show. But I wanted to do a little something with some of the exhibitors who are going to be there at the show. So I had an idea, and I called several turkey call makers over the past week and ran my harebrained idea past them. And I got 8 out of the 11 call makers that I spoke to to agree to play along. So I want to take a minute to thank Jerry Antley with Cedar Hill Game Call Company. I also want to thank Mitchell Johnston with Dead End Game Calls, Jeff Sullivan with Derby City Game Calls, Lyle Gilbert with Houndstooth Game Calls, Kimmy Hanks with Hanks Game Calls, Brad Taylor with Judgment Game Calls. Jim Pollard with Pollard's Elite Calls, and also Jeff Wade with Roostem Calls. All of those guys agreed to donate a turkey call to give away at the NWTF show coming up this weekend. So I'm very appreciative of their support in doing this, and I'm also hopeful that I can get them to do this again soon for you guys who cannot attend the show in Nashville. So maybe I can get them to donate a call for us to give away on social media or do some sort of a giveaway just for the show listeners or something along those lines. But I do want to encourage everyone listening to check out some of the very nice calls that these guys make. You can find these call makers online through Google or on their Facebook fan pages. And if you're in the market for a basic hunting call, Or something just a little bit dressier that you can just hold up and show to a gobbler to get him to run into you you don't even have to make a sound on it the call looks that good then I think you'll find what you're looking for with at least one of these guys and remember when you contact them don't forget to ask them to send you an audio or video file of them running the call that you're interested in so you can hear it before you buy it that way you can see how the calling surface the soundboard the material of the pot and the striker sound together before you invest in that call. Also, please be sure to tell them that you heard about them on the turkey hunter podcast. Okay, so let's get into some really awesome turkey hunting stories. I told you guys that one of my goals in attending the ATA show in Louisville in January was to get some interviews scheduled for some upcoming shows. And I have a list that at any given time will have between 10 to 25 different show topics on it. And some of these topics have been suggested by you guys and I'll always appreciate that. In fact, I'm going to get off the story here for a second while I'm talking about it. If you have suggestions, send them to me at andy at iamturkeyhunting.com. All right, back on the story. When I met today's guest at the ATA show, I asked him to be a guest on an episode of the Turkey Hunter podcast. He said he'd be glad to come on the show. And I told him that I'd pick a topic from the list that I have and get some questions to him. And he replied to me that he already knew the topic he wanted to discuss. He told me that he wanted to discuss winter turkey hunting. Well, since I really know nothing about winter turkey hunting, I told him we would do it. I love these episodes where I'm going to learn a lot. And I knew this would be one of those episodes. So when Rob Keck reached back out to me a couple of weeks ago, We booked a time to chat and I asked if he wanted to cover winter turkey hunting or another topic since spring season is so rapidly approaching for many of us. He quickly replied back that he wanted to discuss winter turkey hunting, so we firmed up a date and time. And I expected this to be a good interview because I could hear the excitement in Rob's voice much the same way I can hear it when I talk to you guys about the spring season, and probably the same way that I sound when I talk about the spring season. But I don't think that I really grasped what all the excitement was about until I spent almost an hour on the phone with Rob discussing hunting large, well, make it very large winter flocks of wild turkeys. Interviewing Rob got me fired up about the topic. And I am happy to be sharing the interview with Rob Keck, the former CEO of the NWTF and the current Director of Conservation with Bass Pro. Rob has dedicated his life to conservation and supporting us hunters in more ways than we will ever know by helping to restore wild turkeys to many parts of this country where they had not existed in decades, and by working with presidents, congressmen, and congresswomen, senators, and lots of state governors as well to make sure our hunting heritage is protected. Rob Keck is the first person to have ever killed a turkey in all 49 states that have turkeys in Mexico, Canada, Guatemala, and New Zealand. He has a bunch of years of experience hunting turkeys and has some very interesting stories as well. I want to get into some of those stories and winter turkey hunting right now, so I'll see you guys on the other side. Hey, everybody, I am excited to have on the line with me today someone who I bumped into at the ATA Trade Show in Louisville back in early January. And in my typical fashion, I'm not afraid to go up and talk to anyone. And this was a familiar face to me just from being a longtime member of the NWTF and watching a lot of hunting shows in my lifetime. And so when I saw the face, I had to go over there and talk to him. And the funny thing is, here comes a stranger up to him chit-chatting, and he just jumped right in and played along with me. So that told me right away that Rob Keck, the former CEO of the NWTF and the current host of Bass Pro Shops radio show on Sirius Radio was a heck of a good guy and so I twisted his arm as much as I can. For those of you who have seen me, you know that Rob's a lot bigger than I am so I don't know how much arm twisting I could do but I was able to twist his arm to get him on the show and I'm excited to introduce Rob to you guys. Rob, how are you today and where are you? Doing great, Andy. I am
1: back home in South Carolina after a really long january as you mentioned ata that was just the start of trade shows conservation conventions and just a whole bunch of other things on my schedule so i've been home this week actually preparing for emceeing next week's western hunting and conservation expo out in salt lake city i'm sitting here i'm looking out my back window i'm watching some turkeys right now up in the back field and i couldn't be happier
0: Good deal. And that's a good way to start your day off right there.
1: Well, it is. And I think anybody that, you know, thrills to the sight and sound of a wild turkey, when, when that happens, their day is made. And I know it is for for literally millions of people. And, you know, I think, Andy, a lot of people don't realize that there's folks out there that don't even hunt, but they still enjoy seeing the wild turkey and they enjoy hearing it when it gobbles and you know it it just adds so much to the quality of life for for all americans and you know we as hunters we're going to make sure we take credit stand up and take credit for what we've done and bring it back not only wild turkeys but you know white tails wood ducks canada geese black bears pronghorns and even our nation's symbol the bald eagle you know we are the first conservationists in this country
0: there is no doubt about that and you know i would put you at the top of that list of those folks who are really pushing the cause and you know your years with the NWTF really moved you up that up to that level but what you're doing now being the director of conservation with Bass Pro just fits right in perfectly with what you started in NWTF and I'll tell you as a lover of the outdoors and a lifetime hunter I thank you for all of your years of service to all of us
1: well thank you Andy I- I want to thank the the many people, though, that I was fortunate to surround myself with, volunteers and and staff members and and professional wildlifers, because when I was there, we had a tremendous team that really worked hard in the restoration of the wild turkey all across its native range and, and even beyond. And when you look at the wild turkey in North America, and I'm talking both north of the border and south of the border, you know, we're looking at something that, You know, there were generations that never, ever got to see or hear a wild turkey. And today we are living in the golden years of hunting. And I think we've got to really appreciate where we are and what it took to get here. It took a team effort. It wasn't one guy. It wasn't just me. It was a lot of folks that committed themselves, that had the passion, that emotional gasoline, to do whatever it would take to get those birds restored back to some amazing habitat.
0: Very true. Well, before we get into the show... Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you first got into turkey hunting.
1: Uh, well, it was a lifelong uh, ambition, a lifelong endeavor. I mean, I grew up in a family of hunters, but back in the fifties and sixties, not really showing my age. Where I grew up in central Pennsylvania. Ringneck pheasants were king at that time, and the only pocket of wild turkeys was up in north central PA. But as a kid, I would hang on to every word that. Somebody, my grandfather, my uncles, my dad would say about wild turkeys. And when I was eight years old, the one thing that I wanted for Christmas was a box call, it was a Louis Stevenson box call out of Wellsboro, Pennsylvania. And, you know, that interest was there from the very, very start. And I guess the, one of the most memorable starts, you know, everybody thinks about the first thing they've ever hunted. Well, mm-hmm. when I look at 1963, it was the actually the weekend. It was the, the day that John F. Kennedy was killed. I was on my way up to northern Pennsylvania with my dad and my uncles. We were going fall turkey hunting. In fact, Pennsylvania had fall seasons before they had spring seasons. Right. And we were going up there to hunt. And I can imagine, you know, just remember back to, you know, the the – unbelievable occurrence that had just taken place with you know the assassination of our president but it was that next day i was with my dad we went across the the creek up on the side my uncles went over on the other side we didn't get into the turkeys i saw a bunch of sign but i heard my uncle shooting we went back at lunchtime to the camp they left a message there told us where they broke the flock and that afternoon i called in my very first gobbler and it was one of those that just set me on a course that I live with today. And, of course, as time went along, when I was in college, Carl Brown and I, and a friend, and for spring break in 1969, we went to Alabama, went to uh, the Coosa Wildlife Management Area, all oh, yeah. these two gobblers on that hunt. And those are my very first spring gobblers because at that time, Pennsylvania had only had a spring season for one year, and I had a taste of it, I wanted more of it, and spring break just felt the right time. And you know, went on from there to a teaching position. I was in Perry County, Pennsylvania, and it was what I consider today still the turkey-calling capital of the world, with many great calls and callers coming from that area. And, you know, I went to listen to some turkey-calling contests, and I mentored under some, some great, great examples. And fortunately, in 74, won the Pennsylvania State Championship went on, won some of the regional championships, then won the U.S. Open, and then eventually won the uh, world championship down in Mobile, Alabama. And so that really gave me a jump start. And at that time there in in the mid-70s, NWTF was beginning to to establish chapters. I was at the very first Pennsylvania State Chapter organizational meeting at State College, and I got to know a lot of, of volunteers that were involved. And then the opportunity came to travel to South Carolina and take on the position of Director of Chapter Development in 1981, was offered the top position, and Uh, was the CEO for 27 of the 30 years that I was there. And so it really gave me a chance to, to see and hear and really be a part of this new movement of turkeys and turkey hunting. Because when I came to the Federation, we're only 30 states that even had spring turkey seasons. And, you know, we had a a great challenge ahead of us, but a great team that took on that challenge and completed restoration. And I can tell you, it's just one of the the great memories and and very fortunate to have been part of.
0: Yeah. That's a great story, and at some point throughout all of that, you decided you were going to dedicate your career to that. So that's very admirable of you.
1: Well, you know, back before he went with the federation, I was making calls in the basement, just like a lot of other guys, and you know, I was sort of faced with the choice: move from teaching into call making, or moving from teaching into, you know, taking on a, a role at the NWTF, which at that time there were only six people there on staff. And, you know, it was really uncertain how well this uh, organization was going to do. It was amazing. There was a lot of reluctance from uh, existing turkey hunters for the Federation. And it may come as a surprise, but in their opinion, they thought that this organization was going to do nothing but create more turkey hunters and more competition for them. And it was a hard sell at the very beginning. So as time went along and as we began to really expand those flocks of birds, then people started to understand that, yeah, there's going to be more turkey hunters, but there's also going to be a lot more wild turkeys.
0: Right. Yeah. That's a very neat story to hear about the organization in its early formative years and and those obstacles. That's pretty interesting. The things that, as a turkey hunter, we Tend to keep a lot of information very close to our vest, and we don't want to reveal our favorite turkey hunting spots. And I can't tell you how many lies I tell during turkey season. Did you hear anything gobble? No. Uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> I, I never hear turkeys gobble at the club, but to be able to show people through proof that you're growing the flocks and giving them more opportunities, and yes, that does free up well, the excitement you know, and that it created.
1: Routine. I mean, people were seeing turkeys where they hadn't been for a hundred years. I mean, it yeah. made news, and that was something that I really made a priority. I wanted to unlock this best-kept secret in the conservation world. You know, there were a lot of people out there that had no idea where these turkeys were coming from. The general public thought, well, they're just raising them on a farm and turning them loose. Right. Of so, course, we know it was wild trap and transfer that made the difference. And unlike way back in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and in Pennsylvania right up through the 70s, you know, it was pen releases that were unsuccessful and a waste of millions of dollars. And, you know, it was only with the advent of the cannon net, which later then morphed into the rocket net, and then into utilizing some, some drugs that were also used in capturing birds and then relocating them into suitable habitat, that things really started to happen. And so we had a tremendous educational challenge in front of us and even more so an educational challenge of what was it going to take to continue to have birds to manage them properly and so I made it a point that uh, we were going to unlock this best-kept secret in conservation and when I hired Tammy, Tammy Sapp who was my Vice President of Communications we built a staff that told that story in fact I'm going to Share with you, you know, you mentioned television, and, you know, it was way back in the Nashville network days, the TNN days. Oh, yeah. I went to uh, David Hall, who was president of TNN at the time, and I said, David, I want to put a turkey hunting show on the air, and I want to do it in first and second quarter. And he laughed at me. And until that time, first and second quarter on outdoor television, which was really limited to TNN and ESPN, too. It was limited to just fishing shows. Hunting shows were always in third and fourth quarter, and he said, it'll never work. I said, you don't understand turkey hunting and turkey hunters. Well, he finally relented after repeated requests, and he said, I'm going to put you in the death slot. We'll put turkey call television at 8.30 Saturday mornings, but what he didn't realize was that was the only hunting show on TNN first and second quarter. Well, guess what? anybody that hunted and had an interest in hunting, they were tuning into turkey call. Well, ratings went out the roof. The very next year, we went into prime time. And, you know, I really look back at that period as a time of being a pioneer in outdoor television because we broke the mold, and it was turkeys that did it. And, you know, we were able to tell a lot of great stories, not only hunting, but about the great conservation work that was taking place as well.
0: Right. You know, I would love to talk to you all day long about those formative years of the NWTF and what you did to really help, First, first of all, establish the mission and then accomplish the mission of growing the population of wild turkeys. But, you know, when I bumped into you at the ATA and told you what I was doing about the podcast, and I said, I'd love to have you on the show to cover a topic, and I've got a list of topics we can choose from. And you stopped me and you said, oh, wait, 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 I've got the topic that I want to talk about. I want to talk about winter turkey hunting. And so today, that's what we're going to talk about. Okay. So seriously, I would love to have you back on and love to talk about what, you know, those formative years at the NWTF, but also what you're doing now with Bass Pro and helping to promote not just wild turkeys, but really all of the game animals that that you're helping to conserve and really grow populations of. So maybe we can schedule another time to get you back on the show, maybe after turkey season's over.
1: That sounds great.
0: But let's do jump into the winter turkey hunting, but before we do, I want to see if I can talk you into playing along with the rapid fire Q&A that I've started doing several months ago on the show. Go for it. Okay. So what I'm going to do is I've got a list of 30 questions. I'll go through these questions as quick as I can with you. We'll time it and see if you can beat the fastest time that anyone has gotten so far, which is Adam Prouty with Prouty Game Calls and that's two minutes and 53.96 seconds. So he blew through these, but let's see what you can do. All
1: right, go for it.
0: All right, I'm gonna start the clock as soon as I start the first question and we'll just rock and roll through these. Wild turkey, grilled, baked, or fried? Grilled. Wild turkey, on the rocks, neat. Rocks. <laughs> number of grand slams.
1: Uncountable.
0: Have you ever killed a bearded hen? Yes. Ever killed a Jake? Yes. Ten-minute successful hunt on a two-year-old or a four-hour long hunt with a clean miss on a four-year-old? Sure. (laughs) Favorite camo pattern? True timber. Wild turkey legs for dinner or for the dog? Dinner. More or less than five strikers in your turkey vest? More. State you killed your first turkey in? Pennsylvania. State you killed your last turkey in? Kansas. Sit in a blind for four hours and squeeze the trigger or run and gun for one hour and not shoot? Run and gun. Rios or Osceola's? Rios. Rios or Easterns? Easterns. Easterns or Merriam's? Easterns. Field turkeys or woods turkeys? Woods. Shotgun scope, rifle sight, holographic sight, or beads? All right. Rubber boots, leather boots, or snake boots? Snake. Favorite place you've ever hunted?
1: I didn't understand that.
0: Favorite place you've ever hunted?
1: I still don't understand it.
0: All right. Let's skip it. Most turkeys you've ever killed in a season? Won't tell. Least number of turkeys you've ever killed in a season? Won't tell. (laughs) Out of all the states you've hunted, which state has the most uncooperative turkeys? South Carolina. If you only knew how to imitate one turkey sound to call turkeys, what would it be? Yelp. Best turkey hunter you know? My dad. Favorite turkey hunting book?
1: McElhoney's book.
0: Who taught you how to turkey hunt? My dad. Think of the toughest turkey you ever hunted. Did you kill him? Nope. Do you prefer long, sharp spurs or long, thick beards?
1: Long, sharp spurs.
0: The biggest mistake new turkey hunters make? Patience without. Your most favorite aspect of turkey hunting?
1: Sharing it with kids.
0: How long does turkey season last in heaven, and what is the bag limit?
1: Unlimited.
0: Oh, let's see. Rob, I think you killed this. You, yeah, you did. I've got two minutes, 33.58 seconds. (laughs) You beat Adam Proudy by 20 seconds. That is... Pretty dang strong.
1: Well, I don't know about did, that, but anyway.
0: <laughs> we did blow through those, but I've got two other questions I want to ask you. Sure. I, the timer's off. The stopwatch is stopped. All right. So remember, I went Rios or Osceola's and you said Rios. Mm-hmm. I said Rios or Easterns. You said Easterns. I said Easterns or Miriams. You said Easterns. Easterns or Goulds.
1: Well, that's a that's a tough one. You know, let me let me just say this. I think that any place you go has its unique. Beautiful and challenging characteristics, and I think that it all depends on the given day, your attitude. You know, I love the mountains of the Sierra Madres in Chihuahua and Sonora, but I also love some of the country that you find Rios, Easterns, Miriams in as well. And so, you know, gosh, it, it really, it really depends. But I think the most satisfaction comes out of killing the toughest turkey that there is.
0: Oh yeah, I don't disagree with that. That was fun. I appreciate you playing along with that. Sure. So, we are going to talk about winter turkey hunting because I could see that spark in your eye when you started talking about it when we were at ATA. So, tell us a little bit about how you first got into winter turkey hunting. Well,
1: first of all, having worked at the Federation and looking at all the seasons on a a big board, you know, I look to see where I can extend my season, where I could extend opportunities. and Of course, Mm -hmm. growing up as a fall hunter, I've always loved fall hunting, unlike a lot of turkey hunters out there. And when I saw the opportunity in Kansas, when I saw that they ran that season from October 1 to January 31, and it was only closed during the gun deer season, and in one unit, in fact, it's unit two, you can actually legally take four birds. I said, man, i got to try that out. And so when I made that first trip, what really was just so impressive was that I knew there were going to be big wintertime flocks, but I guess I wasn't prepared to handle a flock of 400 or 500 birds. And then beginning to segregate out, look for those adult gobbler groups and seeing 75, 100 or more, it was just awe-inspiring. In addition to that, not only the sight, but when you put that many turkeys together, You have never, ever heard so much turkey music in your life. You'll hear every sound that a turkey can make. I mean, from from gobbling to yelping, from challenge purring and fighting calls to lost calls. And all that together just said, man, that is powerful. And I started taking my daughter Heather there. I took friends there. And the thing that was amazing to me was nobody else was hunting. If they were, I never ran into them. And I've done it many, many, many times. And so why wouldn't you want to go back and do that repeatedly? The other thing I found was that if you go after the gun deer season's over, many properties that you couldn't begin to get access or permission to, to hunt on, once the deer season's out of the way, those big wintertime flocks oftentimes causing maybe some, some damage to, to bales of oat straw or what have you, Mm -hmm. You can get on a lot of properties just knocking on the door and asking. And all that combined just had a real attraction to me. Yeah,
0: that's pretty interesting and very true. You know, a lot of states on the western side of the Mississippi that deer hunting, it's hard to get on their properties because they're asked so often. But for birds, whether it's upland birds or turkeys, you can get access to a lot of properties if you go about it the right way by knocking on some doors and asking permission.
1: Well, the other thing, too, in a state like Kansas, there's a lot of those walk-in areas. I think there's over a million acres of walk-in areas. And getting access is not that challenging if you just take a little time and, and do a little homework. And that in itself was unique. But, you know, you asked me about... What drew me there, when, when did it start? Well, you know, it's, it's been going on for, I don't know, I can't even count the number of years. But the approach, you know, I had Andrew McKean, the editor of Outdoor Life magazine, on my radio show, and he asked me, he said, what do you like best, spring or fall turkey hunting? I said, neither one. It's winter hunting. He said, tell me about it. Well, here's the way I've evolved with this winter turkey hunting. All of you that have spring hunted, you know what a Jake decoy will do to a gobbler, how he'll come, he'll run, you know, he'll get into that aggressive posture and literally run to your decoy. He'll run to a fan. I mean, just in in unbelievable uh, ways. And anyway, that aggressive nature is something that those gobblers have, and, of course, hens have it within their own hen group as well, that when they fly down in the morning, they're going to be fighting, they're going to be jockeying for that top position in the social pecking order. And so when I watched these birds, when they'd fly down, I saw that constant fighting. I saw lots and lots of strutting. I said, I'm gonna challenge these turkeys and see how that works. Do it just like I did in the spring, using a gobbler call, challenge purrs, gobbler yelping, and then using a tail fan, or one of my favorites is just taking one of those Montana strutting decoys you can fold up and put in your pocket. And uh, go set up, and and again, there in Kansas, you've got a lot of open agricultural land, depending on where you're at in the state, and then you set up on the edge, put those decoys out that when they fly down in the fields, they can see them, and then I start just wailing away, challenge purring lots and lots and lots, on a slate, on my mouth call, gobbling on a tube, and it is just the most amazing experience because unlike the spring where you've got one or maybe three or four gobblers coming in, you may have 15 or 20 or more coming gobbling in full strut. And it trumps anything that I've ever seen at any other season. And when I told Andrew McKean this story, he said, you know, we've never had that kind of a story in outdoor life magazine, would you write it up? And I said, sure. So if you look in the December, January issue of outdoor life magazine, You know, this just a month ago, Mm -hmm. you'll find that story and find more details about it. And it is just a fun, fun time. You know, when I was at the shot show at ATA back last month, guys were saying, Man, I can't wait till April. I can't wait till March. I can't wait till May to go spring turkey hunting. Mm -hmm. And I said, Well, why wait? I said, I'm going next week. (laughs) He said, What do you mean? Well, last week I was in Kansas, ended up the season, went out the 31st. And I was there with Carrie Earnhardt, and we were filming a, a new television show called Earnhardt Country. And to see over 50 gobblers at one time in full strut and filming them was off the charts. Abe Appleton, our producer, he has filmed, well, over 20 years at Bass Pro Shops for real hunting, king of bucks, and he's done lots and lots of filming of wild turkeys all over the country. He said, Rob, this is the most spectacular hunt I've ever filmed. And I said, that's what I've been trying to say, and it's amazing nobody else is doing it.
0: Yeah, you're right, that is amazing. So, what is the difference in the dynamic in the flock from the fall season through the winter season? What's the main differences between the fall and the winter?
1: Well, I think what you have, especially in that country, you've got much bigger flocks together in December and January than what you do when that season opens in October. And, you know, in October, And when it opens up, you know, probably the most common way to hunt them is to scatter the flocks, sit at the break point, and call them back, which is still a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. But as those flocks get bigger and those gobblers really continue to to grow those gobbler flocks, which are segregated from, from the hens, then you've got such increased fighting that's going on. And it was really interesting last week, you know, the first wave that came up to the call, to the decoys, I don't know, there was 15 or 20 gobblers in that bunch. Carrie, obviously I allowed Carrie to shoot first, and we could have easily doubled, and, but we didn't want to do that at the same time just simply because we wanted to, another another setup for uh, the next kill.
0: Right. And so anyway,
1: we didn't go out and retrieve the bird because the field was just covered in turkeys, and we didn't, we didn't want to run them off. And so... I just kept on calling after the shot, they left, and it was about 30 minutes later. I was able to call up another wave of them of, I don't know, 20 or 30, and to see them coming in, you know, after a kill, and of course, there was that dead one on the ground. It was just, it was so cool to, to see them coming, and you'd see them coming from a long way, and you'd see them strut, and you'd see, you know, hear them gobble, and, and uh, there was gobbler yelping, and there was challenge purring. it was just... I mean, it's off the charts. And so, you know, to me, if I have to pick a time, that's the one.
0: Well, wow. I can see why. <laughs> to hear the excitement in your voice, and you're someone who's hunted and killed turkeys in every state. You've killed turkeys in Canada, Mexico, Guatemala, New Zealand. So you, you've been around the block a little bit. To hear the excitement in your voice about it makes me fired up about it.
1: Well, it really is, and you know it can take it can extend your turkey season. I mean, way beyond anything you ever dreamed of, because you know here we are now, the first week of February, and you know in just another two weeks, I think it is you could go to the Seminole Indian Reservation. I think I think they still don't quote me on it have to check. But they traditionally have opened up like the 15th of February. And then the south zone in in Florida, first Saturday of, of March. And, you know, Hawaii, I think, opens March 1st. And so this really just, you know, without much of a gap, it takes you right into spring. So you can get the new year started off just perfectly and literally hunt January, February. And, of course, a lot of the season in the south in March then April, then May, right up to the first of June. So a guy can turkey hunt quite a bit from the first of the year on if he just pays attention. Now, it's not limited to just Kansas. There's some other states. For example, when you look in the east, Virginia, a couple years ago, started a couple days season. I'm not sure how many days it is. Just check your regulations. That's in January. Maryland Mm -hmm. also has a few days in January. And I think Florida, their fall season actually goes out like the second or third of January. And I know that a friend of mine, an outfitter down there, said that he's had tremendous gobbling there at the end of December. A lot of guys just are missing out because they've only got spring in their mind, and they think that that experience can only happen during March, April, and May. Well, trust me, it can go way beyond anything you've ever thought of.
0: Yeah. So let me ask you a question that you may not know the answer to, but you mentioned Florida runs a few days into January. Mm -hmm. Is that an opportunity to hunt Osceola's or Easterns or both? Do you know? Both. Okay. So the entire state then, you
1: you think? Better check it out. I know in South Florida it runs up into the uh, first couple days of January. I think it went out January 3rd or something like that this year. Again, don't quote me. Go to your regs. Make sure you check it right. out. But I know it was right up there the first couple days. But, you know, you could hunt an Osceola. Obviously, uh, easterns, if you went to eastern Kansas, you could pick up easterns there. You can do it in Virginia, Maryland. And, of course, Rio's in, in Kansas. Kansas. Nebraska, I think they are still running to the 31st of January. You could go up in the Sandhills and take a Miriam's up there. And the other thing, too, when you look at Kansas, look at the bag limit. Somebody says, well, I don't want to make that trip for one turkey. Unit 6 that I was in, it's limited to one turkey. But Mm -hmm. in Unit 2, you can get three additional tags. And if you go online, it it, it spells it out right there. So, you know, there's a chance for multiple turkeys during that Mm -hmm. season as well.
0: So you mentioned... A little bit about how you're hunting these birds. You're not busting flocks at all.
1: No, when I'm when I'm yeah. going there in, in like in Jan like I did last week, I'm just hunting those adult gobblers. Now you can split them and you can you can do that scatter and call back with them as well. But I like the fact. But I got them coming gobbling and strutting, coming into the call, coming into the decoys. And that's just the way I choose to do it because it reminds me so much of the spring season. But it's just on steroids.
0: Yeah. So then it's just a matter of personal preference as far as how you want to call those in and going and doing your assembly call, busting a flock and doing your assembly calls is an option. But there's not going to be that challenge and and those turkeys wanting to fight. They're wanting just to get back together at that
1: point. One of the problems... I won't say problem, but one of the challenges that many times you face when you hunt out on the Great Plains and you scatter a flock is that you've got so much open country, and they can regroup by sight and don't necessarily have to come back to the break point. And so that becomes a challenge in itself. And so looking at when you break them, how you break them, where you break them will certainly have some impact on the success you'll have in calling them back. You know, if you scatter a flock, you know, let's just say you take one of those flocks of a of hundred and scatter it. Well, they're gonna be in some areas that they don't even have to call. They can just see each other. And right. you know, they won't be like an eastern flock that you scatter that may have had a dozen or so in it, that really gets scattered. It's like Tom Kelly says, you can't scatter a flock of turkeys too much in the fall. Well, mm-hmm. I can tell you that the more separated they are, the easier they are to call in. The less separated, the harder they are. And so that open country lends itself to being harder to call back in because they gather by sight.
0: Okay. And I would imagine it's even more difficult because if you have a hundred turkeys come in, you bust that flock, there's only so many directions they can go in. So if 15 turkeys land within sight of each other, they're gonna group up and they may not be in a huge, huge hurry to go group up with the other 85, are they? You're right. Okay, okay, so yeah, that does sound more challenging, which, hey, if we're not looking for a challenge, we wouldn't turkey hunt.
1: That's for sure. You know, last week when, when I was in Kansas, and we sat down, we watched these turkeys go to roost the night before. And I made sure I knew exactly where they were. I knew exactly where I wanted to set up. And we slid in there under the cover of darkness, and we still had a pretty good moon. We didn't need any artificial lighting to get us to where we wanted to go. But even in the darkness, with so many turkeys, you could hear soft turkey calling going on. and It was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, just as it started to break, I hit that tube call and gobbled on it. And when I did, it was the most awesome response of gobbling that went up and down that Walnut River there in Kansas. I
0: can imagine.
1: I mean, it was just, you know, it was just one that repeated off another and another and another, and it just rolled like rolling thunder.
0: Ah, that's amazing. I can think of the the times that I've been to Texas, Kansas, Oklahoma, and, you know, to hear— 25 turkeys in a tree gobble Mm -hmm. is amazing. You know to hear that in the springtime I can only imagine when you're talking about a hundred hundred and fifty gobblers in a very large group What that would sound like that? I I mean golly that that sounds awesome Well, not
1: only hearing it when they fly down I mean last week it was after we made the kills. We went back the following morning just to, to, to video birds Mm -hmm. I counted, as I mentioned, over 50 strutters. There were others that were in half strut that I didn't even, or in aggressive postures that maybe strutted later that I didn't even count. But to see that many at one time in one field is something that is just off the charts. I mean, for all of us that, you know, we just lived to see a turkey strut and, of course, to hear him gobble. But to see that many of them, it was just, it was something you never forget. And it's something that you don't want to end, and it's something you want to go back and do. You know, another thing that I found interesting, as we were doing all kinds of cutaways and beauty shots and that kind of stuff off on the other side of the river, we didn't want to mess those turkeys up. And we heard calling throughout the day. It just wasn't limited to the roost. When you've got that many turkeys, they're going to make some noise. And like you always knew where there were some turkeys. And that was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. So we built up this huge excitement about winter turkey hunting, but how does winter kind of complement spring turkey hunting?
1: Well, I think that you, think? you just have spring turkey hunting on steroids when you look at winter turkey hunting. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize that. Those turkeys are going to gobble any month out of the year. But, you know, what we were seeing, and, in fact, in the last day that we were there, we were just filming and watching. I saw a real transition. We had very warm weather last week. In fact, last Friday it was 73 degrees in in Wichita, Kansas, which is unheard of this time of year and didn't have any wind. But we saw groups of 15 or 20 gobblers that were starting to move off, that were breaking away from the big flock. And so you're at this period where flock break up, you're right on the front end of it, and you know, as you move into February and certainly the beginning of March, those flocks are then splitting up. Some of our radio telemetry that, you know, I was involved with when I was at the Federation, you know, we saw eastern gobblers that would move 5 to 25 miles from the winter range to the spring range. A lot of people don't realize how far they move. Well, when they begin to break up into those smaller groups and then the smaller groups and then the individual gobblers, I mean, it's amazing just how far some of them will travel. And so we were seeing a little bit of that last week, and I'm sure as we get closer and closer to the spring season, you know, that group of 50 goes to 25, and that 25 goes down to, you know, groups of a half dozen or more, and they're just traveling, going up and down that river and spreading out, and so to me, it's just, uh, you know, you're at the front end of the spring gobbler season is what you're looking at.
0: Yeah, and that is where a lot of that fighting and challenging comes from is them establishing their territory, so yeah, very interesting stuff, and that sounds just like a heck of a lot of fun and I'm going to be sure I read your article in Outdoor Life. That sounds great. So the show you said is called Earnhardt Country?
1: Yeah, it's. It, we were actually just filming the very first show. We've got a lot of work yet to do. We've got a couple of networks that want it. We have not made that decision. It's produced by True Timber Outdoors, which is a Bass Pro Shop property and it is one that's going to reflect the story of the Earnhardt family outdoors, especially with Dale Sr. and mm-hmm. the outdoor ethic, the outdoor interest, his passion for hunting, and we'll be interviewing, you know, different partners that he hunted with in different places that Dale hunted in, and of course, seeing it through the eyes of Dale Jr., through Carrie Earnhardt, and even tell some of the stories about Dale Sr.'s dad, who was an avid, avid hunter and the impact that it had on them. And it's all in the, the developmental stages yet, but pretty exciting.
0: Yeah. So will you possibly give me a call or shoot me an email when you know what station is going to pick that up yeah. and when that episode I'll, may air? Cause it, I, I will know do it. that.
1: I know it will also be streaming on Bass Pro Shops electronic media when okay. we get that thing up and running. But anyway, we're pretty pretty excited about it, certainly with you know the involvement of the entire Earnhardt family. And of course, all the ties with NASCAR and just a lot of uh, really interesting people that that Dale Sr. hunted with, you know, through, you know, his career.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, I know that a lot of people listening to this show are racing fans and would love to learn more about the show and also because they're turkey hunters would love to to see that part of it as well. So when that episode is ready to roll out, if it's on Bass Pro or if it's on a network, please you know. do let me know. And yeah, I'll, I'll get word out to all of the listeners of this podcast, and I'm sure that'll... I know I'll be on the site or, or glued to the TV to watch that one because I can only imagine what that's like.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. And last week, uh, it was just that. I know Carrie Earnhardt said to me, said, I've put turkey hunt in a lot of places, for a lot of different turkeys that I've never, ever experienced anything like what we had there in Kansas. And he said, what a great way to, to kick off this series.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. Well, tell us a little bit about what you're up to and a little bit about your radio show as well. Well, I am fortunate to work for Johnny Morris,
1: as most of you know, the uh, chief fishing officer of Bass Pro Shops, the founder. Uh-huh. And you know he's given me a lot of different opportunities. I serve in the role of the director of conservation, along with Martin McDonald, also on the Redhead Pro Hunting Team. So we've been involved in lots of different television productions. Also host our weekly radio show, Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World, heard on Sirius XM channel 147, on every Saturday morning, 10 Eastern, 9 Central, and it covers everything outdoors, from hunting and fishing to conservation and some of the latest issues that hunters and anglers are being faced with. And it's been a lot of fun with the many, many guests that we've had from all across the outdoor world and continue to just to grow that. And folks at Rural Radio have been been just super to work with and lots of fun. They're based in Nashville. Some of you watch RFD-TV. It's all part of that rural media group. And uh, we get a few shots on RFD-TV from time to time as well.
0: Fantastic. Well, Rob, I greatly appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. It's very busy for people who don't know the outdoor industry. This is a very, very busy time of year for everyone the outdoor riders, but the professional hunters, the TV show host, radio show host, with all of the trade shows and everything going on this time of year. It is extremely busy. And I greatly appreciate you taking time out of your day to. Come on the show and talk to us about winter turkey hunting and kind of the early formative years of the NWTF and some of the things that you guys did there when you were there to, to help grow the population of turkeys and not only that, but to grow the sport. So And
1: it's, it's an honor for me. I'll be glad to, to come join you at any time. Lots and lots of turkey hunting and turkey conservation information i'd love to share with with people and you know i've been privileged and i've been blessed in in so many ways you know, i've got a very supportive wife and family that's allowed me to, to travel and to be away uh, from home on many different occasions when it wasn't just hunting uh, whether it was spending time on capitol hill and state capitals working and lobbying for the kind of things that we as hunters have to have if we're going to pass on this great hunting tradition
0: Right. And anyway,
1: I'd be glad to come back and discuss any aspect of, of that uh, that you'd like and truly an honor.
0: That would be awesome. Let's see if we can get something on the calendar maybe for mid-May or something like that. Well, May's still turkey season, so let's it is in my book, but <laughs> that's right. that's right. So we need to probably move that back a little bit to mid-June and maybe see if we can get you on and talk some more about that conservation and, and things that are going on in the world of politics and government that we need to be aware of. And I, I think everybody
1: needs to understand that hunting is conservation. So many times it gets isolated out and quite frankly if we didn't have hunting we wouldn't have wildlife and it's something that improves the quality of life for all Americans. We've paid the way through our licenses, our permits, and stamps but also through that excise tax and firearms and ammunition. And, uh, you know, we need to stand up and proudly say that we're hunters because we have made the difference of having wildlife. We're the envy of so many people around the world for what we have here. You know, Gary Player, the great golfer, the legendary golfer from South Africa, I was with him last year. In fact, he was on my radio show with Jack Nicklaus. And he said, you know, we as Americans, every day that we wake up, we ought to kiss the ground that we walk on. We take mm-hmm. it for granted for what we have, and we are truly blessed.
0: No doubt about that. Rob, thank you so much again. You really do appreciate you. And I wish you luck this upcoming spring. Take a second and tell us some of the places that you already know that you're headed off to turkey hunt this spring? Just a few. Uh,
1: well, South Carolina, certainly. We opened up earlier course. this year. We're Instead of here in the Midlands and the upstate, we're going to open the 20th of, of March. And right. this year we'll run till uh, the first week in May. So anyway, I'll be spending time here. I've got a lot of guests coming in. But that's some pretty neat hunts. I'll be back out in Kansas. I'll be the uh, MC for the... Virginia Old Dominion Turkey Hunt. So I'll be up there in Virginia. Love, love Virginia. I'll be in yeah. Pennsylvania as well. Also yeah. have a really neat trip uh, lined up with the great, great grandson of Theodore Roosevelt, our conservation, our greatest conservation president. Yeah. Simon Roosevelt will be up in a place called Clove Valley, New York. Also be out in northwestern Nebraska with some friends there from Sportsmen for Fish and Wildlife. And, of course, when you fly in a rapid city, you can probably hunt within a three-hour drive, well, maybe take up to as many as a dozen or more turkeys when you look at the Indian reservations in South Dakota, Wyoming, Montana. So I'll probably slide across the line and, and chase a few birds there. I'll be in Wyoming at Old West Wild Turkey Shoot, guest of the uh, president of Hess Oil Company, and we'll be in Missouri. We'll be there uh Richard Childress holds a fundraising event for the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation, and they auction a hunt off there in Missouri. And I'll be one of the guides for some of Richard's guests, some of the NASCAR people and others. And so those are just a few of the places, and can't wait. I'm just glad I had a chance to hunt last week just to keep me stoked up because my vest is ready. You know, it takes a lot of time. It usually takes one or two hunts to make sure you got everything in place. And I think my vest is ready to roll for the first season.
0: There you go. I never empty mine out.
1: (laughs) Well, I always put new stuff and some additional stuff in it. So anyway, it's ready to rock and roll.
0: Mine's in the backseat of my pickup truck right now. (laughs) (laughs) Season doesn't come in for 40 more days, but I'm ready to go. There you go. Rob, thank you again. You're welcome. I look forward to talking to you again soon and appreciate everything that you do for all of us outdoorsmen and hunters. Thank you. All right. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. All right. Goodbye. Okay. I hope that you guys really enjoyed that. I know I'll be talking to my hunting buddies about this topic to see if there's enough interest in getting a trip together for us for next winter. I would love to experience what Rob is talking about at least once in my lifetime. It sounds like it would be incredible. Okay, so we're running a little bit long today, so I'm going to wrap up soon. But before I do, I want to remind you that if you're going to be in Nashville at the NWTF convention, to text me at 205-660-0660. That's 205-660-0660. And let me know that you're there at the show. I would love to meet you. Shake your hand. And thank you for listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. Also, don't forget to check out some of these call makers who donated calls for the NWTF convention. I really feel like I'll be able to work with some of them to do some promotion with you guys who can't make the show in Nashville. And so I would love for you to support these guys because they are definitely helping out. Again, that's Cedar Hill Game Call Company, Dead End Game Calls, Derby City Game Calls, Hank's Calls, Houndstooth Game Calls, Judgment Game Calls, Pollard's Elite Calls and Roostum Hunting Products. That's all that I've got for you guys this week. So before I sign off, please like, share, and forward the show on social media. Also tell your hunting buddies about the show. Spreading the show by word of mouth is an awesome way to do it. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show as well. If you subscribe to the show, you'll be sure to get notification when a new episode is uploaded. Now that's going to be important this week because I'm going to be interviewing people who are going to be exhibiting at the convention. And so if you want to catch those interviews when they come out, you're going to need to subscribe to the show to get notification that those new episodes have been uploaded. Also, don't forget to leave me a five star rating and review on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. That is much appreciated. And Be sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Turkey Hunter podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review.